0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If I had a son, I'd make him sing. My parents didn't make me. My whole family sang, and they were all musically gifted, and I I probably could have been, but I just refused, and my parents let it go. But uh, I was thinking I'd make him just more afraid of going home with me than getting up in front of people. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to just cover a few verses here this evening. We're not going to get too far into the chapter, but please don't let that discourage you. If uh, this is the longest chapter in First Corinthians, but we'll start picking up pace uh, in the weeks to come. I'll start going quicker through them. All right, but tonight I kind of want to drill down on something that I think will hopefully be a help to you. I've been casting the seed out there and the comments out there quite a bit and kind of touching on some of these things as I preach through a book and whatnot. But tonight I want to drill down a little bit on some actually some pretty basic things. But to be honest with you, you're probably not alone in that even though you may believe some of the stuff we're talking about, you might have a hard time spelling it all out. Uh, And even those of you that have been in church a long time and kind of got it all down, listen, for me as I study through this stuff, it helps me to run the references again, God shows me things I didn't notice before. So I want to kind of drill down just a little bit tonight from the first few verses. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. Uh, Brother Berlucci, would you ask God to bless the, uh, the teaching tonight? Amen. Now, looking at this very common passage of Scripture, I want you to notice, first of all, something that jumped out at me. Look at verse 3. He says, how that Christ died for our sins, according to what? Now, what I find interesting is look at verse 4. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to what? So God repeats himself twice right there. Verse 3 and verse 4. Uh, you remember when Jesus Christ was talking, when he'd get up to preach, he'd say what? He'd say, verily, verily, I say unto thee, is two witnesses. Verily, verily, which means truly, truly. Uh, I've taught you over and over and over again, God gives every human being on the planet two witnesses in their lifetime. The age-old question that the philosophers like to latch onto and, and kind of just bury themselves in is the whole concept of, well, what about the heathen in Africa that never had a chance to hear, or somebody down in the Amazonian jungle, uncontacted tribes that never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. What about those poor people? And what a holy, just, loving God sends somebody to hell for eternity who never even had the chance to hear the gospel. And and with those kind of questions, uh, people get hung up real bad. I mean, I know somebody that literally stayed hung up his entire Christian life. His entire Christian life, he stayed hung up. On the fact that how could God, how could God send somebody to hell for eternity who never had the opportunity to hear? Because there are people on this planet that never had the opportunity to hear. It's funny to me because most of the time when I run into individuals like that, they also like to focus on another concept. Here's the concept. The concept is we believe what we have is the truth, right, Pastor? Yes, we believe it with all our heart. We stake our eternal soul. You'd stake your life on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He died on the cross to take away your sins, and that by putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that cleanses you of your sin, pays for your eternity in hell, and because you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior by grace through faith in His shed blood on the cross, that one thing... You believe then, if you die today, you go to heaven no matter what. And if I put a gun to your head, you'd be willing to die for that very thought. Yes. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I'll tell you how weird I am with some of my thoughts. Maybe you guys give me too much time to study by supporting me full time. But I believe that's more real than the fact that I'm even here right now. (laughs) I believe Jesus Christ is that much more real than anything I know. I was thinking about it on the way here in the car, like what a pathetic little life we live. How quickly it goes, how fast your life is absolutely over. It's a pathetic thing. And to think about the fact that the Bible says that mortality, which is our mortalness, our life, gets swallowed up of life. That, that day is coming. In other words, actually, we've really never seen life like we're going to see it because in him is life, and the life is the light of men. So when we get to heaven, it's going to be more real than what we're in right now. You'll never lay down and go to sleep. You'll never blank out and miss a period of time. It's just not going to happen. How bizarre, huh? So, yeah, I believe this with all my heart. So the, the, the philosophical argument or question, then, is this. Well, if we believe what we believe that strongly then what about like the Muslims that believe what they believe just as strongly as we do, actually so much so that they're willing to die for their cause? What makes us think we're right and they're wrong? You understand the, the line of reasoning? You know what you're warned against in Colossians? You're warned against philosophy and vain deceit. Now watch this. After the traditions of the world, after the, after the, the traditions of men, the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ... God, he never said philosophy, period. He said philosophy that rules out Jesus Christ. Now, think about that for a minute. It's like the same argument with science. The Bible's not against science. You know what it's against? Oppositions of science. That's the phrase. Falsely so called. The falsely so called is qualifying the word science. So, God's against things that oppose science. Like what? Like evolution. It opposes science. And that's actually not science. It's falsely called science. They've relabeled things to make you think it's science, but it's not science. So the argumentation then, well, what about the fact that some people have never heard the gospel? Everybody on the planet gets two witnesses. Everybody, I don't care if they grew up in the Amazonian jungle somewhere, uh, don't even really know or believe in wearing clothes, have a bone in their nose, and know nothing about anything, Bula Bula Land, every individual who's ever born and breathes air definitely gets two witnesses from God Almighty. You know what they are? I've told you before. Creation is one of them. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. The other thing is conscience. Their conscience tells them certain things are right and certain things are wrong. That which may be known of God, the book of Romans, is in them. When a man or a woman responds to creation and conscience, when when their conscience moves that direction towards God, when they recognize right and wrong and guilt, then as they're responding properly, because God is the one that tries the hearts of the individual. You understand that, right? It's an individual's heart that God tries. When that person moves toward God in their conscience, in creation, in the two witnesses God gives them, God will give them more light. Light accepted brings more light. Light rejected brings lightning. That applies to lost people. That applies to you saved people. When you get the light from the Word of God and God shows you something in the Bible, you better be willing to accept that thing as truth because God showed you the truth, whether you like it or not, whether it goes with what you heard preached or what you were taught or what your parents always said or what your church always believed. Forget all that garbage. When God gives you truth from the Bible, you better accept the truth God gives you and you change to conform to the truth. Don't ever try to conform the truth to your opinion. And that is exactly what most people Now, I'm going to really step on toes here. That is exactly what most of the fundamental Bible-believing Baptist people or evangelical people and and all these other Protestant churches, all the rest of them, most of the born-again people on the planet try to make the Bible fit their preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be saying. Rather than say, I will conform my mind, my heart, my belief system to what the Bible actually says. When you get to that point, When somebody shows you truth and you go, yeah, but if I take a stand for that, my friends are going to call me this, my parents are going to get mad at me, I'm going to have to get out of a church that doesn't believe the Bible and get into one that does, that's going to cost me something, and that church is smaller, and there's more activities here, and there's friends here in my social life, and this, that, and the other, and you start making decisions to compromise truth based on your preference of what the truth should be, God will shut the lights off. I'm telling you right now, God will shut the lights off. You will not get any more truth when you reject the truth God gave you. You get nothing else. You don't get to circumvent the issue God gave you. You don't get to step around it and just, I'll take other things, but not that one. God will shut the lights off until you go ahead and accept what God says as fact. Because God's God and you and I aren't. And so he's the one that makes the rules. Okay? Interesting to me, twice Paul says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15. He's describing the gospel. Go back with me. You're in Corinthians. Go back with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 10. Romans, chapter number 10. Look at verse 17. He says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? So when I lead somebody to Christ... I like to open up my Bible and show them the verses. I like to get them to see the verses. Let me ask you a question. Without the Bible, what are you putting your faith in? Well, I just don't believe a loving God would send somebody, okay, good for you. (laughs) So what? Well, I just feel that. Well, what I've always thought, well, what I've always been told is, well, so what? (laughs) What? I mean, you're going to use that argument when you stand before an almighty God. Well, what I felt was, I just didn't feel in my heart that God, hey, listen to me. Sometimes God will allow some things and will do some things and will work some ways that doesn't feel right to you at all. You're not going to like it one bit. Is anybody a parent in the room? A, A good parent will actually enforce some things on their children that doesn't make them feel wonderful. There are times that they're sitting down on the couch and they got a blanket pulled up and they want to watch their show, you know, When Calls the Heart or whatever, and you're like, hey, the dishes aren't done. Get up. Shut that off. Get up. I just, didn't, I just didn't feel like my father would actually disquiet me when I'm relaxed underneath my warm blanket watching a switch. I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm watching a good, clean show. Get up. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about your feelings and, and judging God based on how you feel about stuff. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You got a Bible to determine what you believe. That's what the book is for. And without the book, you don't know what you believe. And you don't know that it's right. Romans 11, look at verse 13. Very important point. Don't forget, Paul's writing to us in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, right? Uh, Romans eleven thirteen. 13. For I speak unto you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. All right, so who is the Apostle Paul the Apostle of? What are you? All right, so you know as we've studied our Bible, I don't have time to run all the references on all this, but you know as we've studied our Bible that God was dealing with the Jews originally, right? The Old Testament, is the New Testament too, is a Jewish book written by Jewish authors. And in the Old Testament, God was dealing with Israel. The Gentiles, he basically ignored you know how Gentiles got saved in the Old Testament? They were what you find as you read through your Old Testament and he refers to the strangers. They're strangers. When they recognized conscience, creation, the writings that God had given, the miracles that God had worked, when they were responding to the light God gave them, they realized the God of the Jew is the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth. And when a Gentile would come in and accept Judaism, would accept that Old Testament God, they could actually come in under the Old Testament system. They were strangers brought in. Gentiles could get saved, quote unquote, that way in the Old Testament by accepting the God of the the Jews. But you know what the Jews did when Jesus showed up? I mean, we're looking at it on Sunday morning, right? You got Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra. We're at the end of the Old Testament. They're under the judgment of God. There's a little remnant coming back, a little reviving, and they're rebuilding that thing. And then they go into the silent years. And then Jesus Christ shows up at the end of 400 years of silence. And what you got when Jesus Christ shows up is a perverted mess among the Jews. They're they're adopting their own traditions added to the law and the Old Testament. And they got all this junk going on. And Jesus shows up on the scene and starts preaching to them. And what do they do with him? They crucified him. You know what he did in the book of Acts early on? Because as he's going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what's he preaching? Matthew, Mark, and Luke specifically, what's he preaching? The gospel of the grace of God? The apostle of the Gentiles isn't here Turn back to 1 Corinthians 15 and, and let me just bounce these off of you real quick because we're going to, we'll are gonna stay here for just a, a minute or two and then we're going to go somewhere else. Paul's given you the gospel. And what he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein you stand. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. Do you know that the gospel that Paul is preaching is the gospel of the grace of God? He refers to it in in Romans chapter 2 verse 16 as my gospel. In Romans chapter 16 verse 25, my gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 17 through 18, he says, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. 2 Timothy 2 8, my gospel. Paul makes it clear that he's preaching a gospel that he received. Jesus Christ was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus Christ preaches the gospel of the kingdom of heaven and gives you the constitution for that kingdom, He gives you the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are... That's the constitution, the rule system for the kingdom of heaven, which is when Jesus Christ rules and reigns on this earth for a thousand years at the end of the tribulation period. You cannot make the two match. How about this one? How about he that endureth to the end shall be saved? Well, that's not fitting. That doesn't fit what Jesus Christ was even preaching to the Jews when he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. I, I, it, it, you know what's funny to me? As a little kid, we used to go up north and my dad's family was all up there and uh, we'd go to their church, their Baptist church on a Sunday morning. i never never seen anything deader than that place and I won't name it to, because I don't want to be rude or, or ignorant, but nothing was ever deader than that church, just the deadest church. I remember going in there and just feeling weird. Because when I went to church, it was like here. It's like there's a buzz in the room and everybody's happy to see each other. And there's kids running around playing. Hey, brother, how you doing? And we're, They were just like, but there it was like you came in formally. You were seated by the ushers. You sat there in the pew. You didn't even want to look side to side, you know, while the organ was playing. You know, it's like this weird, what they were was Calvinists. It was a Calvinist Baptist church and they weren't Bible believers. And they didn't believe in rightly dividing the word of truth. So you're saved the same way in the Old Testament as you are in the New. And they are saved looking forward to the cross. You're saved looking backwards to the cross. And people are saved in the Gospels the same same way you're saved when you read Paul's book. And he describes my Gospel, the Gospel committed unto me, a dispensation of the Gospel given unto me. And they say you're saved the same way in the Tribulation period as you are saved in the Church period, as you were in the Old Testament, as you will be in the Millennium. No wonder you don't believe the Bible, man. How can you believe the Bible? If you don't rightly divide the word of truth, how can you possibly believe the book in your lap? It doesn't all match all the way through. So you got two choices. You believe it and leave it alone and study it to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It's work, man. It takes time, effort, and energy that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You either do that or you wind up not believing the Bible. Those are your only options. Because you will be forced to correct some verses I'll show you today. You'll be forced to correct them because they don't match what Paul says. You got to figure out who it's applying to. My memory of that thing, and it's so weird because I was was really young. I'm not saying two or three, but I certainly wasn't a teenager. And I'll never forget when they'd pray, he'd call on, you know, Brother so-and-so, would you pray, you know, Entreat our Heavenly Father for us today, you know. And I knew Brother So-and-so real well. And, you know, I'd heard Brother So-and-so talk when we're not at church. But when Brother So-and-so prayed, it was the fakest thing I ever heard in my whole life. And as a little kid, I knew it. And what struck me so funny is he's like, Our Heavenly Father, dear God, <laughs> Lord of Heaven and Earth, I would not close my eyes. I'd get in trouble because I'm looking at him like his nostrils are flaring. His body's heaving. This dude is weird, man. Like weird, right? My grandpa was a professional boxer. That was what I thought was cool. This other stuff, like I didn't get it. And he'd say, help us with the furtherance of thy kingdom. I, I was a little boy, but at Dr. Noe's church, you remember, we were getting something totally different. A crippled up old man that sat on a bar stool to preach because he had tuberculosis in his leg and it was all twisted to the side like that. But that old man would sit there and growl at you and snarl at you and give you dirty looks over the pulpit. And I, I still remember him thumping on the pulpit so hard. And he hit his, the, the knuckle of his finger like that on the edge of the pulpit, peeled the thing off and was bleeding everywhere. And he's like, oh man, look at that. And they brought him a, a Band-Aid and he put a Band-Aid on it while he's preaching. He just kept on preaching, you know. We were getting sound doctrine. And I couldn't explain it all to you, and I didn't know it all. But boy, hearing sound, sound, sound Bible doctrine like that put something instinctively inside of you. And as a little boy, I was like, that just ain't right. The furtherance of thy kingdom. Like we're bringing in the kingdom. Are you on crack? There is a difference between Paul's gospel and these other gospels. Look at Galatians. You're in First Corinthians. Keep your finger here. Go over to Galatians chapter number one. Let me show you something else. Galatians chapter number one. Look at verse 16. Uh, 15, excuse me. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. You know what happened with Paul? I already showed you the verse. He's the apostle to the... Right. What happened when he got saved, God revealed himself to Paul. He appeared to him. Knocked him off that stinking horse, man. I mean, what a a ride, huh? Then God takes Paul and he gives him something personal. A mystery. Something that he didn't understand. Now listen. The apostles are still trying to figure everything out. Let me show you. Go to Acts chapter 15. If you don't understand this stuff, then your Bible's not going to make any sense at all, and you're going to get all twisted up. Acts chapter number 15. Look at verse 1. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren, and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. See that? See that? That's a different gospel, right? That gospel just means good news. That's all it means. People get hung up on the word. It just means good news. You know, you could say, hey, I just want to let you know you're getting a raise. That's the gospel, (laughs) right? That's all it means. Verse 2, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas are like, yeah, no, guys. And they said, okay, listen, go up to the elders and the apostles, and let's talk about this, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So as they're heading up there, they're just preaching their way through. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and, the apostles, and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses, Now watch, this is what's interesting. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. Here in Acts chapter 15, and the apostles and the elders are gathering together, taking this whole subject extremely seriously, trying to figure out where they're at. Why in the world does any Christian in the New Testament born again, Bible-believing Christian, go to the book of Acts for your doctrine. What is wrong with you? Can't you read? I'm not saying that mean to you or to people that haven't been taught. I'm saying that to clergymen and churches and denominations and doctrines that are built on this. Can't you stink and read? Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. It's not called the Acts of the Church. It's not called the Acts of the local New Testament pastor. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts that followed the Apostles. It's a transition book. The book of Acts is a history book. It's extremely valuable. God put it in there because every word is pure. And without it, man, we wouldn't be able to figure out some of the stuff I'm going to try to show you tonight. Thank God for the book of Acts. But you can see they still are in a transition process. They're still trying to figure out how things are even operating now and what's expected of them. And when there had been much disputing, they're just going back and forth and back and forth. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Peter pops up and says, listen, you guys, you know that a long time ago, God did something crazy, and he actually proved to us that the Gentiles are in on our Jewish Messiah, our Jewish Savior. God let the Gentiles in on this thing. You guys know that. You know what has been happening. I've seen it firsthand. Go back to Acts chapter 8. Let me show you something. You've got to grab a hold of this stuff. Acts chapter number 8, look at verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, notice the parentheses. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Is that how you received the Holy Ghost? No. <laughs> that text told you they had believed, but they had not received the Holy Ghost yet. And they laid hands on him and the Holy Ghost came. That is not how you receive it now. You receive the Holy Spirit of God when you're under that convicting power of God, when the gospel's working on your heart, you bow your knee, you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He comes into you. It's called a new birth. He comes into you and does something in you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The circumcision made without hands takes place in your soul. That is how you, as a still in a sinful body, have a Holy Spirit of God living in you, not just coming on you, living in you, and sealing. You under the day of redemption because no longer when you sin does that thing contaminate your whole body soul and spirit in the Old Testament without that circumcision when they touched something unclean they were completely contaminated but you as a saved person can touch something unclean that's why you're not under the Old Testament law you can eat shrimp and all the rest of that stuff because your flesh can touch something unclean but since God cut you away inside that Holy Spirit lives inside A sinful body. Paul said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you without becoming contaminated. You're sealed under the day of redemption. I'll show you in a minute. It's not how you receive the Holy Ghost. So you've got to understand there's a process going on here. Now verse number uh, 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither uh, our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus we shall be saved even as they... Then all the multitude kept silence, and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles. After that they held their peace, after and after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophet, see it, saith the scriptures. They're all referring to the Bible. As it is written, after this will I return and build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I'll build again the ruins thereof, and I'll set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. But will we be right unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood." So what he's saying is, you guys are trying, some are trying to say they're messing with their salvation, verse number 1. Others are saying, okay, you're saved, but we got to bring the law back in. And here they're nailing it down. They're saying, no, let's not even mess with any of that stuff. Let's just tell the Gentiles, here's the four things they ought to do to kind of keep themselves cleaned up. For Moses of old time, in verse 21, hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day, then pleased it the elders and apostles with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas namely Judas surname Barsabas and Silas chief among the chief men among the brethren and they wrote letters uh, and they wrote letters by them after this manner the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren that are in the gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by my mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. You know what's interesting? He's nailing down meats offered to idols. You know what comes up again later in Romans? Paul starts talking about meats offered to idols. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about meats offered... You know what he says then? He corrects some of this. He gives a little bit of a, a, a twist on it. He says... If they said it before you, don't ask no questions. Are you getting the point? There's a transition process. At that point, that's what's expected of them. But the full revelation, the full written word has not come yet. So God picks Paul as a chosen vessel... And gives him the, the full, clear explanation of the gospel. But Paul is not in and of himself the only one to recognize this is the truth. The other apostles come and they weigh in on this thing. They recognize, hey listen, Paul's right. The scriptures affirm this. Peter, James, John and all the rest of them get behind this thing. And they all begin to recognize as time goes on and the truth gets revealed. The light that they were given is being accepted. You follow me? You remember what I said at the beginning? The light was being accepted, and as they accepted light, God gave them more light. By the time Paul's ministry is up and running and he's writing letters to the church, he's saying, listen, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. I was specifically chosen for this job. God revealed these things to me. And by the way, them other guys actually, they learned the same thing on their own, individually between them and God. So there is checks and balances. It's not like the Book of of Mormon where the angel Moroni shows up to Joseph Smith and it's just this personal thing between him and this angel that appears to him and then there's nothing else to back it up. And it gives him a book, the Book of Mormon, which on the front of it says, another testament of Jesus Christ. And then you ask him, well, another testament of Jesus Christ. So you believe the Book of Mormon? And the Bible? Yeah, we believe the Book of Mormon and the Bible. You do. Well, how can you do that? I don't even have to start. I don't even have to. I don't even have to start running references with you like I do the JWs. Look at the front of your Bible. Another testament of Jesus Christ. Go to Galatians chapter number one, please. Galatians chapter one. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Galatians, right? Let me ask you a question. You've got to think this through with me. Is he speaking to the Hebrews? Is he speaking about the millennial kingdom? Or is he talking to the church in Galatia? Yes, he's talking to the church. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Watch it. But though we or an angel from heaven. You believe the Bible? Yes, sir. Every word of the Bible. Yes, he says, but we, though we, if I get so corrupted as to start correcting the Bible. Correcting the gospel. You better write me off. Fire me. And I promise you, as good of a church as you are, you'll get a better preacher than me. I promise you. But though we are an angel from heaven, that doesn't mean just fire me, okay? (laughs) Preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, as a verily, verily. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, Then that which ye have received, excuse me, let him be accursed. Go to Revelation chapter number 14. I'm showing you why it's so important to learn how to rightly divide your Bible. Now, I made a weird point, right? I just said, who's he talking to? The Hebrews? The people in the tribulation period? Or is he talking to to the church, right? You're in Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse number 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every kindred nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. This is the everlasting gospel. This is the message he's preaching. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Fountain of waters. And they're following another, another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There, there's an, there's an old-fashioned, I mean, I don't know how old the thing was, but it's an old-fashioned hymn, uh, Babylon is Fallen. And, and it's, it's funny to me, I mean, I, I won't pick a, pick a bone with anybody about it, you know, it's not a big deal. But I don't know why you write a song like that to the church. You ain't going to be singing that hymn, man. That's a tribulation thing, <laughs> That you're going to be in heaven. You're not going to care when Babylon's falling. You're going to be busy up there. God's going to have you busy. You're going to be active with the Lord at this time. This is in the tribulation period. It won't apply to the church. Your rejoicing's going to be seeing Jesus in that rapture. It ain't going to be Babylon falling. You're going to be like, well, whatever. I'm looking forward to dipping my foot in the blood preacher was preaching about last Wednesday night at the battle of Armageddon. That's when you're going to get back. Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 and 7 shows you angels flying in heaven preaching a different gospel. So, did Paul not know his Bible? Did the Lord forget what he put in Galatians chapter 1? Or should you and I learn to rightly divide the word of truth? Your church, you're the church, you're raptured out, you're gone, you're not here then. What he's doing in the tribulation period, uh, let me show you another one. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, on our way back to 1 Corinthians. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me show you a real good one. Look at verse uh, 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins." Has anybody in this room sinned willfully after you received the truth? Anybody in here lied after you knew it was wrong to lie? After you knew it was wrong to lie and you knew Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away that sin, and furthermore, you knew that liars are listed with sorcerers and whoremongers and all the rest of that stuff in the book of Revelation, so you understand the gravity of a sin called a lie. And knowing Jesus Christ died on the cross and took away your sins and washed you in his precious blood, you purposely made a conscious decision to lie in order to keep yourself out of trouble or to avoid a fight or to get what you want or something like that. You purposely made a conscious decision knowing Jesus Christ's blood was shed for that and knowing that God lists lying with sorcery, whoremongering, and all the rest of that stuff. We got about three honest people now. Everybody's kind of going like, Ouch. You sin willfully after you had a knowledge of the truth. You know what this is telling you? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. For he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. See the two or three? God gives everybody a minimum of two witnesses. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and clowned the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. Haven't you? I mean, haven't you? Haven't you gotten so backslid you did stuff, you knew God was convicting you, and you were wrong, and you didn't really care much? Have you ever grieved the Holy Spirit of God? Have you ever gone directly against Him when He's telling you not to do something and you did it anyways or telling you do something and you wouldn't do it? For we know Him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Look down at verse number 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You want to laugh? You want to laugh like crazy? Listen to a preacher teach this stuff that believes in eternal security and also claims to believe the King James Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired, preserved, pure words of God. You watch the mental gymnastics he has to play to try to convince you that that's not telling you you're going to lose your salvation. I know, I spent thousands of dollars going to be educated by them. They run to the Greek and do all kinds of stuff, and guess what they come up with? Nothing but mental gymnastics. Trying to escape what the Bible says. You are forced to do what God said to do, and that is rightly divide the word of truth, or you don't know what you believe. Now, Back in 1 Corinthians 15, let me show you something. I've taught you over and over and over again. You do not base doctrines off of obscure passages, right? Some of the passages in the Bible are a little bit difficult. I'm not going to sit here and say they're not. I think God writes them like this on purpose because it forces you to start running references and stop and think and stop and pray and then receive light from the Holy Spirit of God to know the truth. I think he does it on purpose. I don't think it needs to be updated, revised, or made better. I think all you're going to do is mess it all up. But look at verse number 2. So, so he, let, me, let me back up. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, verse 1, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. What do you stand in? The gospel, right? Verse 2. By which also ye are saved. Now watch. This is what the people that believe you can lose your salvation... They hang their hat on verses like this. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Ouch. Right? See? They believed in vain if they don't keep in memory what he preached. Now it's time. The people that believe you can lose your salvation, sit down at dinner, your your family members, your friends, whatever, and they think they can, you can lose it, you don't believe you can lose it at all, and you sit down, and here we go, and now Christmas is completely ruined. Your kids are sitting there like, really? This is what Christians do? And you go back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, until you get frustrated, and you get angry, and it starts escalating, and it gets worse and worse, and you're all wasting your time, nobody's getting anywhere, you're not profiting anything. Actually, the devil just shows up and makes a mess out of all of it. Then you drive your family member farther away. They drive you farther away. Bad testimony to your kids, doing damage to relationships. Why? Because we don't know our Bible's good enough. Because we don't believe our Bible's enough. Because we don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And because a lot of times we haven't been taught the technique. Everything in life is technique. I don't care what job you work, you got to learn how to do it. How to get better. How to fine tune it. No matter what, it's technique. You don't learn the technique of studying your Bible. I want to help you with that. Obscure passages are to be interpreted in light of very clear passages. Do not interpret a clear passage in light of an obscure passage. Never base your doctrine off of an obscure passage. Let me show you just a couple of verses quickly. Please go with me to the book of Ephesians. I want to show you some very clear passages. Ephesians chapter number 1. These passages are going to correct what I showed you in Hebrews. They're going to be different from Revelation. They're going to be different from those passages that are dealing with the Jew in the tribulation. They're going to be very different than the Christian in the millennium, or, or, or the believer in the millennium, whose works have to save him. Because he sees Jesus Christ sitting on a throne and faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you define it the way the Bible defines it, it has no sight. But Jesus Christ is sitting on a throne in Jerusalem and they can see him. How are they saved? By grace through faith. They're saved in the millennium by works. And the book of Revelation shows you that in the end as well. People in eternity future, it's works. Ephesians chapter number one. And uh, look at verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. You know what He said right there? He sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus promised He was going to come, didn't He? Very clear. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here's one of my favorites. I like this as far as an eternal security verse. 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and there's a lot more. I mean a lot more. I just kind of grabbed a few of them just to show you. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 11. Here's a great one. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, he also will deny us. End of sentence, right? Not the end of the sentence. There's a colon there. The context is, suffering, we shall also reign. If we deny him, we choose not to suffer, he's going to deny us an opportunity to reign in the millennium. As a Christian, your works don't save you or keep you saved. As a Christian in the the church period, your works give you an opportunity to rule and reign in the millennium. Your status in the millennium has to do with your service in the here and now. Look at the next verse, which makes it abundantly clear. If we believe not, what did I just read to you in Hebrews? Yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. You know what you are? You're his bride. You're his body, right? Paul makes that clear over and over again. You're his body. They always take you, a lot of the fundamentalists, you know, when they're trying to argue eternal security, they take you to John and they say, oh, Jesus said no man will pluck him out of my hand. <laughs> That's not to you. You aren't in his hand. You are his hand. You're his body. That's a great backup verse, but it ain't the one I would hang my hat on. That ain't going to be my go-to. That's a nice backup. You're not in His hand. You are His hand. You're His body. Guess what He can't do? He can't deny Himself. Thank God for that. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and then we'll get back in 1 Corinthians 15. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse 21. Now He which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us as God, who hath also sealed us and given us, and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. You see that? You're sealed. Uh, We won't go there for the sake of time, back to 1 Corinthians 15, but the book of Romans, chapter number 8, is a great one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. He goes down through a list, principalities and powers can't even do it. The devil get in you and make you backslide, make you deny Jesus Christ, make you say, I don't even believe the gospel anymore, and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If you were saved, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he's going to keep you. You know where that thing comes from? It comes from the Lord's Prayer. Not the model prayer, our Father which out in heaven. That's the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17, where Jesus prayed in that gar- garden, and he said, Father, keep them who shall believe on me. That's you. That's me. He prayed for our eternal security because he'd walked in flesh for 33 and a half years and he knew how tough it was for you not to lie. He knew how tough it was for you not to sin when you know better. He knew how brutal it was. You say, well, what about people in the tribulation period? They don't have it like you got it. They got a short period of time for one. For two, the whole world's blowing up. They don't have flowery beds of ease like we got. They don't have time to be lulled to sleep by the devil. They're running for their life. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to put food on the table. They're trying to avoid pestilence and all kinds of stuff going on. God shortened that time. What about people in the millennium? <laughs> They're in a perfect world, man. They ain't no curse there. For you and me, He made sure you can't lose it. And thank God for that. Now go to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number two, and watch what this thing is teaching. He says, by which also you are saved, there's a comma, right? And then he goes all the way through, and then there's another comma. That middle phrase is where people have a hard time, unless you have believed in vain. So by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. So here's what he's saying right there. He's saying, hey, I'm going to declare to you the gospel by which you're saved. Do you remember what I preached? Keep in memory what I preached unto you. Unless you have believed in vain. He's saying, you're sealed by that gospel. You're saved by that gospel. That's the gospel that saved you. Remember what I preached to you? Unless you believe in vain. Does that make sense? Especially in light of the very clear passages, now we know what he's getting at. Do you know Paul used quite a bit of sarcasm? Watch this. Here's what he's saying, unless you have believed in vain. I believe that that pulpit can hold me up. If that's salvation, it means absolutely nothing right now. Well, you've got to trust that God built that pulpit strong enough to hold you. I do trust that. You've got to believe that. I believe it. Do you believe there's any other way? Nope, I have to sit on that pulpit. No other way. Okay, so you're one of us. Just because you believe Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day does not mean you're one of us. Do you know when you go through Corinthians, Paul oftentimes addresses lost people in the congregation? Have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, I believe. So the devils believe and tremble. You know what you got to do? Oh, now he doesn't just say the pulpit can hold him up. He knows the pulpit can hold him up. You've got to trust the pulpit. It's got to it's go from here to here. That's what he's saying unless you have believed in vain. What's the point of believing if you don't put your faith... You know how many Roman Catholics believe Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again the third day? Right. They believe that. As much as you believe it. Right. They just won't let go of their works. They won't let go of their church. They won't let go of their faith in the traditions. They won't let go of their family. They won't actually get up there and say, yep, I'm going to put it all on this one thing, and that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a thing I can do. They want to say, Jesus and. It's another gospel. Now, look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. We covered that, right? He went and he got the gospel between him and the Lord. Then he comes out after three and a half years of Bible Institute. He comes out and he gets to work. And he goes up to the apostles and, and they're crossing paths and they're sitting down in conference and they're hammering these things out and they're figuring it out. And Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God directions because he's the apostle to the Gentiles and he's laying out how we're supposed to live and God's clarifying some things and tuning it in and zeroing it in. Just to not, not to beat the point half to death, but Acts 2.38... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Right? Repent and be baptized. Do you know how many Christians believe baptism saves them? Because they're over there in a transition book before their apostles showed up. That's a different deal. That's preaching to the Jew. Their opportunity to receive the Messiah after they crucified him. That ain't to you and me in the church. Paul received something from God, and Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, and coincidentally, he writes all the books directly to you. Ain't that interesting? The one we're sure he wrote is Hebrews, but he didn't put his name to it because he's the apostle of the Gentiles. Because Hebrews applies to the tribulation period because they can lose their salvation. You can't. So verse number two is not telling you you can lose your salvation. Verse number two is telling you you're saved by the gospel and you stand in it. Remember what I said? Keep in memory what I preached unto you? Unless you believed in vain, unless you're a fraud. Making sense? Hope so. Clear as mud? Oh, man, that's not good. You were supposed to say no. It's really clear. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Now here's the gospel. You ready? Number one, Christ died for our sins. How? According to the scriptures. Not our feelings. And that he was buried, number two. And that he rose again, number three, according to the scriptures. It's not done. You see a period? There's no end of the sentence yet, is there? And that he was seen as Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. You know what I like about that? He's saying there's proof to what you believe. We just saw it before, two or three witnesses, they would kill somebody. In God's system, two or three witnesses is enough for you to die. They saw you do it. And their witness agrees, he's dead. Do you know that still to this day, in a court of law, in a civilized nation like ours, an eyewitness, good eyewitness accounts, can get somebody condemned? To this day. You know what, this, you know what the gospel tells you? He was seen first of all as Cephas, then of the twelve, then he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Above 500 plus at one time saw him. After Cephas, after the 12, another 500. You know what God gives you? He gives you redundancy. He gives you checks and balances. He gives you verily, verily. He proves it. He proves it. I, I don't have any patience for these guys that judge and criticize the Bible and they've never read it cover to cover or they've read it cover to cover and been trained it, but they've never studied it to find out whether or not it's really right. They spend their whole time criticizing it. You'll hire criticism and unfortunate renderings. Why don't you spend some time comparing Scripture with Scripture and seeing if you can put the puzzle pieces together and trust in God a little bit? It's amazing how powerful that book is. God will back it up every time, and He backed up the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a point where it cannot be denied. The reason men deny it is because they simply don't want to believe it. It's a heart issue. It's not an intellect problem. It's a heart problem. Verses 8 and 9. i I'm uh, verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 7. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. See, again, after that. See, he, he confirmed it again. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Then he showed up to me to say, hey, listen, the Jews are rejecting their second chance, and I'm going to break them off and graft the Gentile in, and then when the Gentile acts like the Jews acting now, somewhere around 2022, 2023, maybe 2030, who knows, but somewhere around that time frame, when the Gentiles start acting like the Jews have been acting, I'll break them off too. And I'll bring the Jew back. That's your tribulation period. That's your rapture for that little remnant that's left. You're getting out of here. And then he's turning it on the Gentile. He's bringing the Jew back in in the tribulation period. That's why the whole world goes after him. I know, but he's coming back to save him. His emphasis is back on the Jew again. So the problem has nothing to do with, well, you people just, you know, believe by faith. Yeah, we do believe by faith. You know what we got our faith in? The word of God. And the more I study it, the stronger my faith grows. The problem with people that don't know or have or see the truth and won't admit it is they don't want the truth. The reason people will reject the fact that they're not saved the same way in the Old Testament as you are now is because they don't want the truth, period. The reason people say, I just don't believe you're you're saved different in the tribulation period, you just don't want the truth. You're denying the facts that are in front of you, the black and white ink on the paper, you're denying it because for some reason... Your little agenda, you just don't want to believe it. But God makes it clear. When it comes to salvation, everybody has an opportunity. Watch this. I'll close with this little thought. It's a real interesting thought. You live in a day and age where they don't want to believe the Bible, right? So they get your kids in school and they use what? What do they use to say they don't believe the Bible? If I can't see it, I don't believe it. He was seen of above 500 brethren at once. I'm taking their eyewitness account. You add to that the fact that that book is amazing and it holds up against everything, science, criticism, all of it. The, the fact that his spirit works in my heart and I, I know I know for a fact what he's... I mean, I just... It, there's so many evidences I can't even... I believe that book. Well, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Okay, so you've seen an Adam. Oh, you're trusting your professor who says he saw one under a microscope. You've seen other galaxies. Oh, you're trusting your professor who claims that, you know, with the telescope we've seen this, that, and the other thing, and a bunch of conjecture and a bunch of add-ons. If I don't, if I ain't see that, hey, I've never seen my intestines. Have you seen yours? I've never seen my heart, never seen my lungs. Doctors say they've looked at them. I'll take their word for it. Do you understand the point I'm making? They say it's science. It ain't science. Now they're saying that there's all kinds of problems with the Big Bang. Well, what happened to your science? It's an opposition to science falsely so-called. Everybody believes what they believe by faith. Everybody. Everybody has faith. It's just where do you want to put it? And I'll tell you, folks, the more you put your faith in this book, the more you're going to realize... My goodness, man. It comes to a point where I don't even feel like I have much faith anymore. I feel like it's just so obvious. <laughs> Great man of faith. No, nah, I don't think so. I think I'd be an idiot not to believe the truth, not to believe my Bible, not to believe the gospel. I think I just have to be blinded and bat- backing him backwards because I want my sin. Because I don't want to face what God says because I don't want to live under his rules. I want to live how I want to live. And that is the root of the problem. They're telling these kids... We're going to show you science. We're going to prove it from science. You've got to study science. Okay. Observable, repeatable, right? Okay. You're not a girl. You're a boy. You're not a boy. You're a girl. Couldn't be more unscientific. You know what that is? That's religious. That's supernatural. It's not natural, is it? It's not natural. That makes it supernatural. It's demonic. And when you reject the light, that's exactly where it'll go. You go from, well, we just, we just study it science and we just believe in science to being so unscientific it's not even funny and defending that in your arrogant, stupid blindness because you don't want the truth of the Word of God and let that be a warning even to save people. You better accept the truth God gives you because light rejected becomes lightning. Alright, we'll stop there for tonight and we'll pick it up in verse number, uh, verse number 10 next week.